There's only one road into Key West, but you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. Taste seafood fresh off the boat, or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Established. Hallelujah. Good evening, Harvest. I hope you heard that word about Timothy's and Titus's being raised up uh, so that weight can be taken off of me. And I believe that God's going to do that. Ask your neighbor, say, are you one of them? No, we're going to find out. Lift your Bibles. Are y'all ready for the word of God tonight? We're just going to flow right into this tonight. Say, uh, let's say our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed and my spirit is prepared to receive the word which produces faith and faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word has given me life. Y'all shout it. Hallelujah. Remain standing. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Again, I hope you uh, took heed to, I wanted to share that with you. That was a word that was given to me uh, by uh, where I was just a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted you to hear that word. I wanted that word to be released in this house so that you could hear it yourselves. Amen. Luke 9 and 23. When you have it, say, I have it. Also, we welcome those at all of our campuses tonight, and don't forget, you can tweet me throughout the message to at Bishop Foreman, and I'll retweet your tweet. Luke 9, 23, uh, we were here this weekend. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Look at his neighbor and say, it's not about you. Look at the other one and say, it's really not about you, Tom. Because you know that other one, they just something, you know, so. And take up his cross how often? Daily, and do what? follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will save it. Say, Lord, I lay my plans down for your plans. Not my will, but your will be done. He says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 25, for what profit if a man, if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words or my word of him, the Son of Man, that just means Jesus or God in the flesh, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Speak in this place. Do what you want to do. Move how you want to move, Father. But I pray that tonight that ears would be open to hear, receive, and do. Say that. Hear, receive, and do. Say it again. Hear, receive, and do. Like an army. Hear, receive, and do. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at somebody as you take your seats and tell them the harvesters are coming. The harvesters are coming. You be seated. Uh, tonight's teaching is really a continuation of where we were this weekend. Uh, and it's a really a message of reflection. Say reflection. Reflection is to look on where you've been. Correction. Uh, correction is to uh, change the course in which we are headed. And strategic direction. Say strategic direction. So we're going to look back. Then we're going to look at where we are. Then we're going to make sure we're going in the right direction. Uh, we talked about this this weekend that in virtually every level of sports competition, uh, teams are divided into both what? Offense and defense. One side is to protect the territory game and keep the opponent from gaining new territory. That's called the defense. The other side is to gain new territory. That's called the offense. Now, we discussed that we are engaged in a spiritual war. And for the sake of the analogy, we called it the championship game for our community, for our city, and for the Rocky Mountain region. And for too long, our soldiers, 
our players or harvesters have been receiving A-team coaching but producing B-team results. And we said this weekend, I'm just saying what I said this weekend, you can't win a championship with the A-team playing like the B-team. The Lakers figured that one out. It's real quiet in here. Now, the Lakers, watch this, watch this. Now, I am not a big basketball fan. You know, I pay attention, but pay attention when I need to pay attention. You understand? I know enough to know who's playing when and what they're doing and how all that kind of thing. But, but when I found out that the Lakers were out of the finals, I said, how in the world did this happen? That's Kobe Bryant. Kobe could play basketball. He could be all five players on the team by himself. What, what's the point I'm trying to make? Uh, uh, the Lakers, which, which most of us associate with being a winning championship team, they did not bring their A game. They're A-team players, but they were playing B-team kind of game, and their B-team got them kicked out of the game, out of the finals. See, see the, the issue we've got to deal with is not letting okay be good enough anymore. Touch your neighbor and say, okay is not good enough. Okay is not good enough in our church. It's not good enough in your life. Average is not okay anymore. Did you hear what I just said? Because when average is okay, then you get kicked out of the championship games. You understand what I'm saying? Now, let's take this analogy a little further. Let's take this a little further. Let's take this a little further. Uh, and, and I challenged everybody this weekend to take the A-team coaching you're receiving and start playing like a starter. Now, for those of you not familiar with sports at all, when I say A-team, I'm talking about starters. When I'm talking about starters, I'm talking about th- these are the guys that they, they, when the game starts, they start playing the game. You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and I believe that we are a church of A-team people. Uh, I believe we're a church of starters in life. That, that's what I believe. So when I also I say starter or A team, I'm also talking about harvesters. That's what we call people that are part of harvest. We call ourselves harvesters. You got it? Because we don't come to harvest. We are harvest. The Bible says that, that the body of Christ is the church. Such a name said, you are the church. Which means wherever you go, the church is there. Isn't that something? So you can go to the Aurora Mall and there's the church. You can be in Harold Penner and the church is at Harold Penner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can be at Chick-fil-A, and the church is at Chick-fil-A. You can be at Dillard's, and the church is at Dillard's. You can be at Joss, or uh, they don't have it no more. What, uh, Macy's. <laughs> you can be at Macy's, and the church is at Macy's. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now, 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 when we understand this, I said this to you. If you're not part of the solution, you are what? You are the problem. It's not that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. No, if you're not part of the solution, you are the problem. And we discussed uh, uh, about in politics, sometimes how people will complain about the government, complain about different things. And you ask people like that, well, who'd you vote for? Nine times out of ten, many people that are complainers, uh, you ask them, who'd you vote for? Well, I didn't really vote. I didn't really want to vote. Well, then you have no right to say anything about anything because you weren't willing to be part of the solution. So, therefore, your complaining is... The problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, now, when we look at this, uh, I am sent here to this region by God to raise up an army of starters, an army of 18 members, an army of harvesters, an army of game changers. And God sent you to this church and to this man of God because together, say together, we are supposed to turn this community, our city, and this region upside down for Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. When we turn it upside down, we're really just making it right side up because it's already upside down. Harvest, it is time. I'm going to repeat what I said because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. So I'm going to keep on saying it till you get it. It is time for us to take some major territory. You heard the word that was spoken, and it's been spoken repeatedly over and over again. It is time for not just addition, but it is time for multiplication. And I do not just mean that numerically. I mean that in the impact that we have. I mean that in the people that we feed. I mean that in the lives that we change. Somebody shout major territory. I said shout it, not say it loud. There we go. Now, Joshua 18.3, it says this. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel. Now, he was talking to God's people. Got it? And he says to them, he says to them, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Now, let's break this down because this is, this, is this, is this is quite befuddling. 
it says, Joshua said to God's people, not the world. These Bible-toting, tongue-talking, shouting, dancing, chair-bending folk. Whatever you do, you got it? How long, which evidently means they've been doing it for what? A long time, maybe six years they've been doing that. How long will you neglect to go? It wasn't that it wasn't available. He said it just wasn't important enough for you to go. See, I'm going to raise up some A-team in here. I'm going to find me some Timothys and Titus. I don't care if I got to go get them from some other city and move them here. I'm going to get me what I need to do what I'm called to do. The word says, how long will you neglect to go? It's not like it's not there. not like we don't know what our vision is and our mission is. He says, he says, he says, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has what? Given you. Which means there's territory, and let me be clear about what I mean by territory. There's people that need to know Jesus. There's people that knew Jesus but fell away from Jesus. Unchurched and de-churched people. There are people that are in churches now that ain't learning a lick, and, and, and they need to be in a place where they can receive the word. We're not, we're not anti-nothing. We love everybody, but you understand what I'm saying? Got it? Uh, th th there are situations that, that can only be fixed when Harvest understands that God's already put our name on some stuff out there. But we can't go possess it with an army of one. We need an army of everybody that calls themselves a harvester to say, I get it, Bishop. I see it, Bishop. Let's do it. But where are we going? Where are we taking? Who we, what we got to do? Touch your name and say, are you on the 18? Ask him, are you on 18? Now, now, this is, this is so important because you know what? There are 1,800 churches. I didn't believe it in Denver. In the metro area, from and now, now here's the unique thing about the way they do the uh, 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 the the MSA, the Metropolitan Statistical Analysis. It's interesting because they go all the way up north as far as Boulder, and then they count all the way down to just before Colorado Springs is the metro area. That's a big metro area. That's a real big metro area. In that metro area, there are roughly two and a half million people, and that two and a half million people, there are 1,800 or so churches. I know, I, I was like, wow, where are they at? I mean, <laughs> there must be, people must be having church at their house and saying they got it. That's the point I'm trying to make. There are 1,800 churches. Now, listen, for all those churches, hear me, there's still homeless people. There are still young people that are in need of male leadership in their lives that don't have it. There, there are still people that are on 16th Street Mall that are homeless. See, does this stuff not bother you? Because it bothers me. There's people, right? Uh, we send in, you know, we are quick, people are quick to send money over to Africa and India, and that's wonderful. But we got homeless people right out here. See, I'm talking about a church that if we were to shut our doors, they would miss us. That's what I want to build, and that's what I'm building. To where if we disappear, they, they, the world comes in. But Bishop, please come back. And in many instances, that already happens now. The city calls us every year and begs us, please do back to school because we can't serve the people. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Harvest, there's territory in this region that God says, I've already opened the door for y'all to take it. There's already people that need, there's already, do you understand what I mean when I say territory? That's people, that's, that's lots, that's anything we could think of that we're supposed to take over. And the scripture says, Joshua said to them, how long are you going to just not do it? I'm here to make an announcement to you. That's no longer okay. I said that's no longer okay. And this weekend, I gave you our game plan. I'm going to get to it. I just want to review where we've been. I gave you our game plan, and I, and I was clear with us about what our mission was. Because if we're not clear on what our mission is, then, then we'll get caught up in all kinds of different things. See, our mission is to do what? Lead people to totally It's one church in global locations. I want to be clear with you that we are in the business of doing what? Changing lives. Black lives. White lives. Latin lives. Asian lives. Arab lives. Every age. Every race. Every color. Every background. Every pedigree. Every economic situation. Everybody. Anywhere. No previous church experience necessary. Did you hear what I just said? Come just as you are. But don't plan on staying that way. Because when this word gets a hold of you, 
It'll begin to change your life from the inside out. Now, do you understand what that vision is? Do you understand what that mission is? Now, listen, when, I, when God made me, he, he made me as the kind of guy, I, I, I don't do well not winning. Did you understand what I mean by that? Anybody else like that? It's okay, you man. I, I, now, I'm not a sore loser, but when I discover I'm losing midway through, I'll just change the rules so that I become the winner. I'm just telling you how, I'm just telling you now. If you Bishop, I want to put you in something. Okay, but now I'm just telling you. If I discover I'm not winning, the rules are going to change mid. No, I'm just joking. I'm just saying. I'm fair. If you win, that's fine. Nobody's perfect. So <laughs> I'm just joking. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm just joking about that. Here's the point I'm making. Is I like to win. God built me that way. Do you understand something? I do not like losing at all. The scripture says he always causes us to triumph. Now, I'm just following the Bible. I'm just built like the Bible. Do you understand something? I don't like to lose 25 cents. That's the worst. That's why I don't like carrying cash. I hate you sit down and all your chains fall out in the back. Do do, do you understand the point I'm trying to make? God built me that way. Now, now here's the reason he built me that way. Because too many Christians are okay with losing. And that's not the way the scripture has set it up to be. That doesn't mean you won't have challenges. That doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. That doesn't mean that there's some things that are just out of your control. But when God built us, he built us with an innate desire to win. Somebody say, I'm a winner. Say it like I mean it. I'm a winner. See, we sang that song, Victory, but it's not victory if you lose. Don't throw up your V's and you lose it. Nobody wants to throw up a V and you lose it. But we're winning. Say, I am destined to win. Even if it looks like I'm losing, the God I serve wants to find a way to make me win. Because sometimes you can be in the middle of something and it can look like you're losing. And God says he's so awesome, he'll find a way in the middle of it. He'll Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego you. he say it'll look like you're losing, but I'll find a way to not make the fire touch you. He said, it can look like it's going to consume you, but I'll find a way to make it so that what's killing other people can't mess with you. Now, now, now. So this weekend, this weekend, I, 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 I gave us our game plan. Got it? And the first part of that game plan, I invited everybody to get involved, right? And, and of course, weekends are, are, are awesome, and we thank God for that. And, and, and we did that. And then the second thing I told you is that this Aurora campus needed to be a what? 600 and weekend attendance are greater by the end of 2012 period. And we're not that far off from that. But again, I explained to you that it's not about numbers for the sake of numbers because you're going to have thousands of demons. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all go some of the places I go and say, y'all ain't got nothing but a crowd full of demons. All y'all just going to not doing nothing productive. Crowd doesn't mean success. Did you hear what I just said? A crowd does not mean success. I can get a crowd outside right now. I mean, there's lots of ways you can get a crowd. You follow what I'm saying? So I, I challenge everybody to invite two, two particular groups of people. Now, again, we love everybody, but there were two particular groups of people I challenged everybody. What were they? Unchurched and de-churched. Unchurched are people that have what? Never been in church. And I love when unchurched people come to Harvest because they don't have to learn a bunch of junk that then I have to unlearn them. <laughs> and then they have to learn what the Word says. You understand what I'm saying? Because what many people learn are the traditions and patterns and habits of men, but not the word. And the scripture says it's the traditions and habits and patterns of men that make the word of God of no effect. Which means, watch this. God says, God, the Bible says that the name of Jesus is greater than every name. That's powerful, right? But in Psalm, in Psalm we discover, in Psalm 138 and 2, we discover that God makes his word more powerful than his name. So check it out. We got God's name, then we have God's word. But now there's one thing more powerful than God's word. Your traditions, your patterns, and habits, Jesus say, make the word of no effect. So here's how it goes. God's name, God's word, your habits. Which means if we can get your habits, your patterns, and your traditions, if we can get that right, then all the rest of this flows in the right order it's supposed to flow in. That's why I'm doing a teaching like this about being a team and being starters and all of these things because what we got to do is create habits and patterns and traditions of champions. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, so the first was on church, then the second was de church. De church are people that at one point served the Lord, but, but they fell away from church for some reason, this, that, the other. 
And those are the two areas we wanted to focus on. We love everybody. Those are the two areas we wanted to focus on. And it was about this. More people equals more what? Manpower, which means we can do what? Change more lives. Now, now God uses us in a tremendous way to change lives. And I hope you look uh, at the end of every year, we do the end of year report. And I hope you looked at that to see what your faithfulness and giving and all those things does, because it goes far beyond what you see, of course, far beyond a midweek experience and far beyond what you see on a weekend experience. God does tremendous and amazing things through Harvest already. What I'm saying is it's got to be some more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God does awesome things already, but we want to see him do Samo. Now, for those of you not from the South, when I say Samo, that's not a name of somebody, and I'm not trying to say Samoan. <laughs> uh, that's, just, that's just a Southern colloquialism for some more. Got it? Y'all still with me? And then the third thing I told us for our game plan was that for, all, for those already serving, those already part of the dream team, I challenged us to play like the what? Like the A-team. Now, remember, A-team, starters, game changers, and harvesters, all of those terms are going to be synonymous tonight. Do I have an A-team in the place tonight? I said, do I have an A-team in the place tonight? Now, 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 we, we ask this question. How then do, does the A-team, the starters, and just harvesters play? And let me say this uh, as we're moving and walking uh, uh, through this. Uh, go to Luke chapter 9 real quick. Go back there real quick. And let me say this uh, for those that maybe this is your first time here and, and and you're trying to make this word have some relevance to your life, hear me, you're not here uh, by accident. Uh, God sent you to hear a word that is really designed for our house, but it's really going to speak to your life uh, because that's the kind of God we serve. God sent you here for a specific reason. Don't miss the reason uh, because you're, 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 you're trying to interpret rather than receive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, now, I told you to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, and we already read this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Take up his cross how often? And do what? Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profits a man if he gains the world? But he himself is destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my word, the Son of Man, which is God in the flesh, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. So we ask these questions this weekend, and I just want to get this to you. I'm going to get you to something fresh in just a moment, but I need to make sure that we didn't just shout this weekend and we didn't hear what it was that I was saying in both of those worship experiences. Now watch this. The first part we said is deny, uh, uh, deny himself. Say deny himself. None of this is about you. It's about you being healed so you can help heal others. See, God doesn't need you to always be messed up, broke, jacked up, disgusted. Because how then are you supposed to go help somebody else? See, the way Jesus works is through people. Touch your neighbor and say, he works through you. See, maybe you didn't know it or not, but see, the smile you gave somebody on your job today, he was working through you. The hug you gave somebody when you walked in this place tonight, it was the first hug they had all week. Jesus works through you. And I know you may be thinking, well, Bishop, I got all these issues. I got all these problems. Let me tell you something. He knows how to get rid of all of that and remove all of that and still work through you. Did you hear what I just said? In spite of your issues, in spite of your problems, in spite of your proclivities and your nuances, he still has the ability to work through you. But you got to understand this is not about you. And for too long, churches and pastors have been teaching people, get your blessing. You reach up and grab your blessing. Your blessing is not up there. Your blessing is you. Genesis 12 says, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. Which means I'm not trying to get something that I am. That's your neighbor. Say, you are the blessing. The word blessing means an empowerment to prosper, to do well, or to be made whole. It is not just money because you can have money and still be broke. You missed what I just said. You, 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 your money can buy you a doctor, but it can't buy you health. It can buy you a lawyer, but it can't buy you justice. It can buy you a, home, a house, but it can't buy you a home. Did you hear what I just said? Now, now, in, in, in looking at this, it is not about you. When things are about you, you know it. Because people that it's always about them, they're always getting offended by stuff. They're always getting angry at stuff. They're always trying to think everybody's against them and all this. It's not about you. Touch your neighbor and say, it's not about you. 
Can I tell you something? That if you would put your bootstraps down on the ground, and if you would just dust your shoulders off, and if you just stand tall, God says, there's people that I'm trying to put in your path that could use your story. See, you didn't go through all you've gone through just to go through it. There's somebody that needs to hear your story. But when you think it's all about you, you're so what When they walk up in front of you, well, what do you want? What? And God says, I sent them to you so you could give them your story. But you're so selfish because you won't deny yourself. Oh, but I think there's some people in this place tonight that say, I will deny myself. It's not about me. Before that, though, before that, though, before that, though, Jesus says, if any man desires, and the question I asked you was, where's your desire or passion for Jesus? If I told you God's going to put a million dollars in the bank, you would tear the church up. You would call some folk and tell them, see, you shouldn't have done me like that. Now God's going to bless me. <laughs> but where is your desire and passion for Jesus just because of what he's already done for you? See, a lot of people say stuff like this, and you ought not say this, but Lord, if you never do another thing for me. Well, you ought not say that, because if you don't do that, then we see how that works out for you. Because you're looking at big stuff, but uh, please, there's some stuff that he does for you you don't even consider. Like the fact that when you open your eyes, there was breath in your body. And when you went to put your leg out of the bed, your leg worked. And when you went to move your arm to turn on the water or to sink the... So where's your passion and desire for Jesus? See, everybody wants to talk about what we want him to do for us. But what is it you're going to do for him? I'm so tired. Can I be honest? I'm so tired of selfish Christians that are just trying to get something out of God like he's some celestial sugar daddy. I'm here to tell you, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And where's your passion for him just because he saved you? Where's your passion for him because of what he did last year? Where's your passion because he pulled you out of drugs? Where's your passion when he pulled you out of a bad relationship? Where's your passion? Where's your passion just because he is? You know, there are times when sometimes I look at shows and I'll see people that maybe have a handicap or, or, or something that, that they have to deal with. And I get in tears. I get in tears because I begin to think, God, I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know the circumstances, how that happened. I'm just so thankful that that's not me. See, 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 people that have raw passion think about stuff like that. When you see somebody that's struggling and they're trying to scrape money together to pay their grocery bill and and sometimes it ought to just make you get in tears and just say, God, forgive me for whining and complaining because I didn't get that raise. I didn't have to walk in here pushing a basket down the street. See, where the Jesus? And you're complaining about your car. And there's somebody walking, there's some single mother that's walking with her three kids. And you got the nerve to sit up in here and complain about your car and complain about. There's somebody that wishes they had your problems. Where are the passionate people at? You're complaining about your job and 14% of people in this state can't even get one. How dare you have that kind of impassion? Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, and that's the kind of church I want to lead, a passionate church, to where we don't need no, nothing from him to have passion for him. He says, then the verse goes on, the verse goes on, the verse goes on. He says, take up his cross daily. What are you doing every day to further that mission that you just heard about? To lead people to totally love God, love people, love love. What are you doing daily to further that mission? What, what, what are you doing daily to further that mission? Are you judging people or are you praying for them? You know what will give you, especially for those of you that have challenges being nice and loving to people? Start praying for them. 
Because when you start praying for people, God will begin to show you things about them that explains to you why they are the way they are. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, when they act crazy with you, you'll just, you'll, you'll understand. That's, that's, I, I, I would normally get real moved by that, but I'm not even going to let that mess with me because I prayed for you this morning. And since I prayed for you this morning, I'm not even going to let you mess with me or rub me the wrong way because I know that before it's said and done, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord and God sent me and put us together so that even despite your nasty attitude, you're going to bow your knee and you're going to confess with your tongue. Take up the cross daily and then Jesus said let him follow and I said this to you you're not qualified to lead until you've proven you're a good follower leadership is a privilege not a right in any capacity on your job it's a privilege not a right but I've been in supervisory you know listen well let's look at your track record and see if that matches all of that arrogance Leadership is a privilege. Not just leading, but can I be honest with you? Serving. Serving is a privilege. It is not a right. How do you know that, Bishop? Many are called. Few are chosen. Many get the invitation. But not everybody is bold enough to RSVP. It takes humility to serve. It takes humility to serve and love people when they will lie in your face. Bishop, I love you. Bishop, I'm with you. Oh, got quiet, real quiet right there. It takes humility. And I said this to you this weekend, you're not ready to lead until you can hold the spotlight for somebody else. Matter of fact, I said it like this, you're not ready for the spotlight, roles of prominence. Until you can hold the spotlight for somebody else. See, a lot of people are saying, God, just give me a chance. God, give me a chance. And God says, but you're not ready. That's why I set you in a place where you can be trained and developed and built. So when you are ready, you can be deployed at the right time. Did you hear what I just said? You can be deployed at the right time. You heard the word of prophecy. God's going to, see, 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 see he, he's, uh, now let me come over here and say it like this. Now let me say it like this. He's going to give me the Timothys and the Titus that I need. i like for it to be some of y'all in here. But here's the deal. If I got to go somewhere else and fly them back here and move them here so I have what I need to do what I'm called to do, I'm going to do it. Say amen to that. He said, follow. How good of a follower are you? I know what some of you think, well, I'm not no follower. God made me a leader. You fool. No, you're not. (laughs) Because the best leader is the greatest follower. What do you mean by that, Bishop? Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. Now, he's God in the flesh. But he paints a picture as if he's talking to a third party, the father. See, him and the the father and the son, they're one, they're the same. It's not two different people. But he wants to paint a picture of what sons and daughters are supposed to look like. So so, so Jesus then creates, he creates this dialogue with, with himself so that you can see what a good follower looks like. So he creates a dialogue and he says, I can do nothing except what I see my father do. But he is the father. But he wanted to create a dialogue so you could see what a good follower looks like. Which means I'm following. And and, and which means I don't do my own thing. I do what I'm told to do. But see, we didn't want to talk about that in America. That's a cult when you talk about people following in America. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ was the biggest cult leader that there ever was if that's your definition. What am I trying to say? Your definition is flawed, jacked up, and messed up. Leadership requires fellowship, and power requires submission. He creates a dialogue so that we could see what a follower is supposed to look like. 
He creates this whole thing just so you can see a relationship. He's talking to himself, but he wants you to see a relationship. Then I said, I got to move because I haven't even gotten into the new thing. He said, if a man desires to save his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he'll save it. And we already said this, lose your plans for his plans. See, when it's not about you, you have no problem saying, God, what am I supposed to do? Good. Then, then what I'm told to do, that's what I do. See, you, I've told you all the story several times. I'm not going to repeat the story. You know the story. If it's my choice, things will be a little different. Okay, let's just leave it right there. But I laid down my plans for his plans. Why do I tell you all that? I tell you that so that you can see that the same thing uh, in this instance, the same thing that is required of you, he required of me in this particular instance. Now watch this. And then the last thing we said, Jesus said is, if any man uh, desires to, uh, uh, or if any man is ashamed of me and my word, I'll be ashamed of him. And remember, we talked about this weekend that, that when you get in front of Jesus, when, you're, when you breathe your last breath on earth and you stand in front of him, and it's going to be a glorious sight. I mean, everybody's going to be there. Paul going to be there. James going to be there. Peter going to be there. Everybody going to be there. It's going to be wonderful, you know. Jonah even going to be there. God going to let him come out, to, you know, for a little bit. Samuel's going to be there. Elijah's going to be there. Think about all this. Meeting all these guys like, Elijah, 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 Jay. <laughs> And you ask, Elisha, his son, oh, my God, it's so good to meet you. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be there. And when, you, and when you stand in front of him, he said, he's going to ask you a question. He's going to say, you're going to say, Jesus, it's me. He's going to say, who? Jesus, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I prayed for four hours a day. He's going to say, to who? You did all of that behind closed doors. But when it came time to let somebody know you loved me in public, that's what the word just says in Luke chapter 9. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you in the upcoming of the glory. He's talking about that day, the day we stand before him. He'll say, you were ashamed of me. You refused to say anything to that coworker because you didn't want to offend them. At the sake of offending me. You were so busy to get to your meeting. That you, you heard me clearly tell you to stop and say something to that person. But you ignored me. He says, you're ashamed of me. So unfortunately, this is your Bible. And this was in here before you got here. I, I, there's nothing I can really do for you. Well, will you forgive me? Uh, truth is, I can't answer that question. I don't know what he'd say to that. Here, here, here's the point. I don't even want to have to be up there asking for no. <laughs> I want to get it right down here <laughs> so that when I get up there, everything's good. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know how I'd answer that question. But we cannot be ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed to tell everybody about your pyramid business. You're not, no, you're not ashamed to tell people about your prepaid legal and all these other things. And nothing against that. I'm just saying you're not ashamed to tell people about that. You own a painting business. You ain't ashamed to tell people, you, you know, painting. We used to have people in church. That's why we had to put in the communique because people doing worship. People be passing business cards and people lifting their hands. God bless you. I do mortgages. I do mortgages. God bless you. <laughs> you're not ashamed of that. You're not ashamed to tell people when you have a good experience at a restaurant. So then why would you be ashamed of this God that you say you love and you say has changed your life and you say has made the difference? It's quiet in here. So now I ask God, I ask, and remember, remember, y'all remember what we did. Y'all remember how we ended. Uh, we, not just about being ashamed of God, but it's also not be, being ashamed of the church that God's put you in. And so remember, we, we, we said this. James Brown had a song. Y'all remember, we, we remixed it. We remixed it. Y'all remember the remix? Y'all remember the remix? Say it loud. There you go. Y'all remember that, yeah? Because we are the church. You, you remember that? So we went through that. But here's the question I asked God. Here's the question I asked God. I said, God, how can I get all of our team to play like starters? 
how can I get all of our team to play like the A team? How can I get all of our team to play like harvesters? He answered me with this word, Nazarites. Write it down. Nazarites. Now, I'm eight minutes over. Y'all let me borrow three, three, four minutes on credit. <laughs> I got the mic. I'm going to take a minute here. I just <laughs> say Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. Samuel was a Nazarite. You remember Samson. Samson was the man with the great strength. He, he had a weakness too, but he's remembered for his great strength. His weakness was he couldn't pick relationships right, which means that even when you're gifted and called by God does not mean that you won't have some kind of weakness. <clears throat> Samuel, Samuel the prophet, you remember Samuel. Samuel was the great prophet that uh, he was the one that anointed Saul to be king, and he was the one that told Saul the real deal, and Saul, matter of fact, brought him back from the dead through a medium. And Samuel said, why are you bothering me? The Lord already told you. you he's rejected you from being the king. It's over. Now, let me go back to sleep. <laughs> then you remember John. You remember John, John the Baptist from the New Testament. We call him the Baptist. Really, in Hebrew, the, the term is called mikvah, uh, which is what they would use as a, what we would call a baptism. It's what they would use to cleanse people from uncleanliness, uh, things like leprosy and sin, etc. But it's also what they used to consecrate new priests. So when John baptized Jesus, he was actually mikvahing Jesus, which means he was consecrating him to the priesthood. So even Jesus had to follow the order. See, that's being a good follower again. You see how that? He's God, but he says, let me submit myself to my system. <clears throat> you, you, you remember James, James in the Bible, James, the brother of Jesus, who later became the bishop of Jerusalem. You remember the apostle Paul, don't you? Wrote much of our New Testament. Paul is wonderful. He's poetic. He's this great guy who preaches the gospel in two years and three months in the entire continent of Asia with no, no trains, no planes, no automobiles, no internet, no nothing. How did he do that? Because he had a team. He had an A team with him that made it possible that this man could preach the gospel to millions, perhaps billions. We don't know the exact uh, 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 number of people he preached to in that two years and three months, but it was the entire continent of Asia, the scripture says. Are you still here? Now look at this. Now look at this. Now look at this. Look at this. Look at this. It's also believed that Jesus took the Nazarite vow. You can find that in Mark 14, 22 through 25 and Luke 22, 15 through 18. You can read that in your own time. Now, some of you are wondering, what in the world is a Nazarite? Some of you maybe have ideas because somebody told you they took the Nazarite vow and you saw them and they had these long dreadlocks. And you, and you, anybody ever seen anybody like that? It's a, okay, good couple. Okay, now, now, now watch this. A Nazarite is, refers to one who voluntarily took a vow described in number six, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. You can read it in your own time. We're not going to go there. But Nazarites made three distinct, uh, there were three distinct characteristics that they had to uh, follow as Nazarites. Are you with me? The, are you with me? The first is they were motivated. Say motivated. They had to abstain from wine, wine vinegar, grapes, raisins, intoxicating liquors, and vinegar distilled from such and refrain from eating or drinking any substance that contained any trace of grapes. Now, I want to be very clear because some of you think it's a business, but you going to ask us to be Nazarites? No. I need you to see a point, though. That's why I heard you write that word down. What was the first word I gave you to write down? What was it? Nazarites. After that, it was motivated. Now, the fact that they would keep themselves from intoxicating drink meant that they were so motivated by the vow they had made and by their commitment to their God that they never wanted to give themselves an opportunity to do anything that would violate their relationship with God. You're not hearing what I'm saying. They were so motivated by their passion for God that they said, we don't even want to give ourselves an opportunity to put ourselves in a state where our minds would be altered to where we could do something that would hurt him. In essence, what they did is they kept themselves protected. Let me give you the next thing. I'm going to break this down layer by layer. It's like an onion. We're going to get to it. The second thing, they were dedicated. Say dedicated. <clears throat> they had to refrain from cutting the hair on their head, but to allow the locks of their head's hair to grow. They had to refrain in cutting from hair. Say dedicated. 
Now, let me be clear. Many people need haircuts. And there's nothing wrong with haircuts. Amen. Ladies, men, whatever, okay? What's the point I'm, what's the point I'm making here? What was the word I gave you? Dedicated. They were so dedicated that despite the inconvenience that was caused by growing their hair out, it paled in comparison to the vow they'd made to God. For those of you that have had long hair, you've had dreadlocks, you've had long hair, isn't that a bit of maintenance and a bit of upkeep and, and, and you know, and you want to keep it right, you know, because if you met some folk, don't keep it right, you get in there and be spiders and stuff. And <laughs> Say dedicated. They were so dedicated that they would not cut their hair despite the inconvenience that it caused them. Third thing. They were motivated, or excuse me, consecrated rather, consecrated. Say consecrated. Now the word consecrate means to separate. <clears throat> they were consecrated. Here's what they couldn't do. They could not become unclean or impure by touching corpses or graves, even those of family members. They couldn't touch a corpse. They couldn't go to a gravesite for even family. So watch this. If, if there was a, a, a feud going on, that's what we call them in the country. Because they had taken a vow, they could not go. No matter who it was. Because in the Hebrew culture, you would become unclean by touching the undead. Or touching the dead, rather. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, what's the, not undead. You don't want the undead. There's zombies and stuff. You don't want the undead. Follow the point. Follow the point. Now, that was literal for them. For you and I today, watch this. It, dead things represent the past. Represent yesterday. I'm going to help somebody understand this. What's the word I gave you for this section? Consecrated. They understood that they were, the scripture calls them holy unto God. Holy does not mean extinct. It means distinct. Which means God says, I got something special for you to do. Touch your neighbor and say, there's something special for you to do. Because God had something special for them to do, God says, you can't touch yesterday. God, I wish I had a church in here. Because most people are never able to move forward because they're stuck in graveyards. That's what happened. Can I preach for just about 30 seconds? That's what happened to the Gadarim demoniac. He was living in graveyards, cutting himself. Some of you can't move forward because you're stuck in your failures of yesterday. Oh, but I'm here to make an announcement to you. You better get a little Nazaritis and say, I'm not going to be stuck in my past. I'm not going to be stuck in my previous failure. I'm not going to be stuck in my mistakes. God says, you can't mess with yesterday and take the Nazarite vow. He said, I don't care if yesterday's your mama. You can't mess with yesterday. Touch your neighbor and say, watch out for yesterday. That's what the three things they had to do. They were motivated, dedicated, consecrated. Now, let me very quickly give you some background. After following these requirements for a designated period of time, which would be specified in the individual's vow. The person would immerse in the mikvah. Remember I told you about the mikvah or baptism. And they'd make three offerings. Say three offerings. <clears throat> now I'm going through this very quickly because this is just for those of you that like notes and Bible college students and stuff like that. <clears throat> they took three offerings. The first was a burnt offering. The second was a sin offering. And the third was a peace offering. Got it? Now, now uh, it, was, it was a burnt offering, a sin offering, a peace offering. Now, this was unique that they had to make a sin offering, seeing how God declared them as holy. Something that was holy connotates that there'd be no sin. So now we have a paradox. Two conflicting statements juxtaposed to one another. On one hand, they're holy and distinct to God. But on the other hand, they're making a sin offering. I, I, there's a point here. There's a point here. There's a point here. Don't, don't get lost in the technicalities of it. Here's the point. Here's the point. Despite their issues, God says, I still have work for you to do. Y'all missed what I just said. Even though they were holy unto him, he still required them to prevent a sin offering. Which means they couldn't be holy, meaning they didn't have any imperfections. 
they were holy that in spite of their imperfections, God, for you I live, and God, for you I die. Did you get that? Don't get, caught, don't get lost in the technicalities of it. Now, a man or woman could only become a Nazarite by an intentional verbal declaration. This declaration can be in any language, and it could be something as minor as saying, me too, as another Nazarite passed by. So if they'd see a Nazarite walking by, and you'd see them because you'd see their hair. They, they dressed differently because they were consecrated. <laughs> they, they, they talked differently because they were motivated. It's quiet here. It's quiet here. You could see that there was something different about them. Got it? So much so that when they showed up, their difference spoke for them. See, that's what the A-team is like. To where when a harvester shows up, their difference speaks for them. Which means you don't even have to announce, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. When you walk in the room, you must be a Christian. You must love Jesus. You must mess with that harvest and go to that Bishop Foreman shirt, don't you? Because their difference spoke for them. So when another Nazarite would pass by, when another person wanted to make the Nazarite vow, and coincidentally, it was oftentimes young men and women that made the Nazarite vow. Now, there were times where older men and women did it as well, but it was young men and women, and many times it was because they wanted to separate themselves from the contamination of the society they were in. So this, later on in our culture, this became known as the uh, uh, vow of abstinence. It, it, it metamorphosized through time. But now watch this. When they'd see another one, they'd say, I want that too. Me too. The kind of team I need is a team that when they walk in a room and when they walk in the mall and when they walk on their job, people look at them and they might not have time to give them an invite card to church. Oh, God, I'm going to get that team. I swear before the Lord, I'm going to get that team. That when they walk into that room, people say, well, what, what do they do? Me too. I want that too. I want to serve the God you serve. I want to go to the church you go to. I want to worship the way you worship. I want to pray the way you pray. Shout Nazarite. Now, let me clarify. When I said I swear before the Lord, the Lord told me to do it. So I'm not swearing before the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I meant that in a very figurative way. Follow this. I'm through, but I need you to get this. Touch your neighbor and say, you are called to use the principles of the Nazarite. I am not saying, hear me and hear me well, that you should literally take the Nazarite vow. That's the second time I'm saying this. Now, if you want to do that, you do that. But I'm saying you should put those principles into play. Consecrated. Which means there's certain places you say, no, I can't go there. Why? I'm consecrated. It's not that I think I'm better than you. It's just I can't do that. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you I can't do that. See, see, too, too often we think we got to judge everybody else. No, no. They'll just say, me too, if you'll just stand up and take your Nazarite principles and say, I'm not going to judge you. I'm just telling you I can't do that. Well, I guess me too. Dedicated. You can't build anything great when you have people that are committed to non-commitment. Can't do anything great. You have people that are committed to non-commitment. The Nazarites were dedicated. It was so important to them, the vow they had taken. And if you read those scriptures, you'll see that God was very direct. He said, don't you play with this vow. God said, if you said this, God said, you better do everything in your soul, the scripture says, mind, thoughts, will, and emotions to make the vow happen. Amen. Too often in our American culture, our, am I, am I, are y'all all right? Too often in our American culture, our word doesn't mean very much. Person says, oh, you can count on me. 
Touch your neighbor and say, God needs you on the A-team to be dedicated. I need to see you here. And the last thing, I'm through. I talked way longer tonight, but I think I helped somebody. Motivated. You, 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 you know what motivates me? I, I tell you all often to send me your praise reports and stuff like that because, because that, uh, that is my motivation. Uh, uh, suffice it to say that you have to deal with a lot of stuff when you're not just a pastor to a people, but you're a pastor to pastors. So you have to deal with a lot of stuff. Such a neighbor say, just stuff. And I deal with stuff. Now, I'm graced to deal with stuff. But you got to deal with stuff. And the moment you think you're done with stuff, somebody else walks in with some stuff. And now you got to deal with that stuff. Stuff happens. What's my point? But when I look at a marriage that's been strengthened, then I look at the stuff. When I juxtapose the two, that means put them next to one another to compare. When I compare the two, my motivation is greater than my frustration. I wish I had somebody in here that could do math. And what motivates me is that there is a city and a community and a region that need Jesus. Listen to me. Don't just need Jesus, but they need what Jesus has, which is the kingdom, which is heaven's attributes on earth. God's modus operandi, how God does what he does. So you can get Jesus but not have what Jesus has. And I was driving through a community. I won't name the community. I was driving through a community that was just, a, I guess, one of Denver's rougher communities the other day. And, and I started praying. And I said, oh, my God, look at all of these lives that need the gospel of the kingdom. Look at these people who need to be taught. You don't have to be broke all your life. Look at all these people who need to be taught. You don't have to be messed up all your life. And I just was looking, and I said, oh, my God, I would just get out of my car and just start preaching now. When I read the testimonies and the praise reports of lives that have been changed, people that have never even been in this building, but that watch right through here from around the world. You, you ought to go to the Internet campus sometime and look at all the red dots of the people. Anybody ever looked at all the red dots? And see all the red dots from where people watch. It's amazing. People in the Russian Federation. I don't even know what the Russian Federation, is that regular Russia or is that a new kind of Russia? <laughs> Forgive me, I didn't realize that they changed the name if that's a new kind of Russia. We're not just here, and hear me, and I'm through, but I need you to hear this. We're not just here to have church. We are here to change this community, to change this city, to change this region. That's what we're here for. If you just want to have church, okay. But I'm here to tell you, you are missing it. You're missing it. From a teaching like this, the question then becomes, what are we supposed to do? Exactly. That's my point. I already answered that question in the teaching. <laughs> See, I tricked some of y'all. Some of y'all like, that's right, Bishop. What are we supposed to do? I tricked you. I already gave you the game plan. Now, in the coming weeks, there are going to be some very strategic things that are going to happen. I would not miss a weekend worship experience if I were you. And if you're the one that likes to come to the 9 and doesn't come to the 11, I would encourage you to just, I don't know, because it's not like you got nothing else to do. I would encourage you, but eat and go to sleep. I would encourage you to be at both of them. Because there's going to be some things that are going to happen that if you miss it, you just miss it. What happened at church? What happened at church? What happened at church? 
You just missed it? Because there's people rising up in this place. And 18. Some starters. Some harvesters. We didn't come to take sides. We came to take over. Standing on your feet, everybody, everywhere. Father, we honor you for your word. We just thank you. What a privilege it is to be alive, God. <laughs> People that didn't wake up this morning. 154 soldiers this year that took their lives because they couldn't handle the stress and pressure of the combat that they had to deal with. So we're just glad to be alive. And we pray for our city tonight. We pray for our community tonight. We declare that this is not Satan's domain, but it is the domain of God. I said this city and this community is not the domain of the enemy. It is the domain of God. And there are some sons and daughters rising up in this place. The word shall be established that are rising up in this place. And we shall subdue this community. We shall subdue this city. We shall subdue this region. Territory that you've already given us. Not for our glory. Not for Bishop's glory. But for the glory of the King of Kings. And for the glory of the Lord of Lords. Your glory. Father, I declare that as the word was established, there's multiplication rising in this house. There's transformation rising in this house. There's change manifesting and rising in this house. I declare that there's passion rising in people in this house. I said there's passion rising in people in this house. I believe that there's going to be such an army of starters and 18 people in this place that we're going to be able to walk down to that 16th Street Mall and we're going to be able to eradicate homelessness in this place. I believe that there's people that have incurable diseases, HIV and AIDS, that are going to walk them through these worship experiences. And they're going to walk in sick, but when they walk out, they're going to walk out healed. Not because the bishop touched them, but because they were sitting next to a Timothy or they were sitting next to a Titus. And just because they were sitting next to him, something... I declare that our young people, even as they're in the student ministry center tonight, I declare that something's happening in their lives tonight. That they're going to rise up and be different. Not just a group of teenagers that are entertained by fog machines and fancy lights, but, but a group of teenagers that are going to take this mission and subdue their schools. Overland, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Prairie, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Highline, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Tollgate, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. There's some harvest young people that are coming into these places that are going to subdue these places for the King of Kings. DU, I speak to you. Metro, I speak to you. CCD, I speak to you. Harvest is here. And the harvesters are coming. I said, the harvesters are coming. I said, the harvesters are coming. Now, very quickly, with your heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, you may be thinking, wow, Bishop Foreman, this sounds wonderful. And I need to tell you, it does. Man, I'm probably not even going to be able to sleep. Because something is getting ready to happen in a supernatural way for us in a supernatural way. Hear me and hear me well. But maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to know this. He wants to know you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He wants you to be a part of this army that he's raising up. See, some of you, the reason why you've never served Jesus is just because you never thought that he was anything worth living or dying for. But I'm here to tell you, you've been misinformed that he is worth living for and he's worth dying for. The good news is, though, you don't need to worry about the death part. The good news is, the scripture says, he wants you to live so that you can bring somebody else back to life. 
John 10, chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 10. So if you're here tonight, you need to give your life to Jesus. He wants to receive you. But maybe secondly, you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, but you've not been serving him and you want to rededicate yourself to him. I got good news for you. He loves you and he wants to receive you back tonight. You're not here by accident. You're here by a divine setup by Jesus Christ himself. He set this thing up. Of all what I could have been teaching, I was teaching this tonight. It's because he sets you up to be here. And if you need to rededicate your life to him or give your life to him for the first time, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed on a count of three, I'm going to ask you to throw your hand up. And when you do, we're going to celebrate you, but we need to put something in your hand. Don't be ashamed to put your hand up because guess what? At one time or another, the person standing next to you was standing in your shoes. So we're not here to judge you. We're not here to put you down. We're here to lift you up and love you to life. If you need to become a Christian and rededicate yourself on the count of three, throw that hand up and you throw it up proud because something's getting ready to change in your life. One, two, three. If that's you, throw that hand up tonight. I see you. God bless you. I see you. Hallelujah. God's proud of you. Hallelujah. Somebody's mother, somebody's uncle, somebody's cousin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. Your greatest days are in front of you. Everybody pray this to me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess my sin before you. I thank you that Jesus was sent to die in my place. Because of his death, I can have life and life abundantly. Because of this confession, if I was not a Christian... I am now born again. If I was far from you, I'm reconnected to you. I'm motivated. I'm consecrated. I'm dedicated. The Nazarite principles are flowing in my life. You're going to preach through me, through the way I love people, through the way I serve. Speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Give God praise all in this place tonight. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10, that's V-I-A-T-O-R-10, for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app? Over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.